Our tendency as human beings is to take something good, one of God's good gifts, and to add to it so that it actually becomes a burden or hindrance to us. We sometimes try to improve God's good gifts by modifying them, but we only end up ruining them. Take work, for example. Hard work is good, but workaholism or incessant work can quickly consume us and ruin other good things like marriage, family, church attendance, and good health. Another example is sex. Sex is God's good gift to married couples, but when we add to it, when we expand God's good sexual boundaries by engaging in fornication or adultery or polyamory or homosexuality or pornography, we cheapen sex, which comes to consume us and ruins the intended intimacy, love, excitement, and security we could otherwise experience in a healthy marriage. The Sabbath is God's good gift to us. But the Pharisees in Jesus' day made the Sabbath a troublesome chore by adding to it ridiculous and repressive regulations, kind of like workaholism. Their additions drained the Sabbath of its intended refreshment. The Sabbath, or what we often referred to now as the Lord's Day, Sunday, is God's good gift to us. A day to devote ourselves to God in worship and rest, but we are tempted to add to it what is not helpful, making it a burden. Now, more than adding rules and regulations to the Sabbath, I think we are more in danger today of libertinism, or adding unrestrained indulgence to the Sabbath, adding distracting and unhelpful activities similar to expanding God's boundaries of sexual ethics. Libertinism may not immediately feel like a burden because its openness appeals to the flesh, but libertinism burdens us in this way. It distracts us from God's best for the Lord's day and the richest blessings found in his intended use of it. Libertinism, it may work like this. We get so used to doing whatever we want on the Lord's day that when we hear about how God desires us to observe the Lord's day or the Sabbath, we think it sounds so restrictive and legalistic and burdensome. Uh, The whole day to God? Why, that sounds repressive. So libertinism ends up making God's best feel like a burden. So we head to the stadium instead of to church. We turn to entertainment instead of spiritual improvement, and the effects on us are significant, but sometimes pretty hard to realize. Legalism, like the Pharisees, makes the Sabbath a burden, but so does libertinism. They both add and they both burden. Perhaps today will help you to remember that Jesus kindly refreshes us with his presence and gift of rest in him. See, if we truly believe that Jesus kindly refreshes us with his presence and gift of rest in him, we are more likely to find the Sabbath a blessing, to find more rest and refreshment in Christ through the Sabbath. Before we unpack Matthew 12, 1 through 8, 
Uh, listen again to Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, because it leads us right into our text today. Jesus said this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We find true and lasting rest when we come to Jesus for rest, when we are exhausted and discouraged from laboring under the law and failing. We come to Christ for righteousness and rest for our souls. And the Lord's Day Sabbath is meant to give us Christ, who is our refreshment. When God's people assemble, like we're doing right now, for public worship on the Lord's Day, God communes with them in a special way and blesses them with His rest and His refreshment, thus exciting them to love Him and one another more deeply. How might we all experience more rest and refreshment on the Sabbath? Well, I think it would serve us well to contemplate the intent and goodness of the Sabbath. So before we get too far, I want to make this simple first point. The Sabbath is God's kind gift to his people meant to refresh them. Now, this point could be a sermon series. But I can only scratch the the surface here. This point sets the stage for us as we move into our text today and our text next week. When Mark recounted Jesus walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath, he included a line that Matthew left out. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Dr. William Hendrickson commented, Quote, the Sabbath was instituted to be a blessing for man, to keep him healthy, to make him happy, and to render him holy. Man was not created to be the Sabbath's slave, unquote. God kindly gave us the Sabbath to promote our health, happiness, and holiness. Uh, Genesis 2 tells us that God completed his creative work and rested the seventh day. Genesis 2.3 says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. From the beginning of creation, God set apart the Sabbath to be a blessing. Therefore, God commanded his people to delight in the Sabbath. See, God's commandments are never burdensome. Sabbath commands only ever promoted his people's good. So in Exodus 20, 8 through 10, God commands, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. First, the Sabbath is a holy day of rest meant to be kept holy. Well, how is it kept holy? Well, God said the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, to or for or towards God. To keep the Sabbath holy is to direct yourself toward God on that day. It it is a special day of rest from our servile labors to direct ourselves toward our Heavenly Father in corporate worship, to cease from all evil and to love others 
The Sabbath was like a weekly vacation, if you will, meant to refresh God's people, body, and soul. In Exodus 31, we learn the Sabbath is, is a sign between God and his people to remind them that he, the Lord, sanctifies them. They're different. They're separate from the world. The Sabbath reminds us of God's creative work. The Sabbath also reminds us of God's work of redemption. God delivers his people from slavery in order to worship him. See, rest and refreshment come in remembering our covenant identity in Christ and what God has done to deliver us from our sin and our guilt and our misery. The Sabbath is ceasing our preoccupation with servile labor and our own pursuits and preoccupying ourselves with God. Psalm 92, it was written as a song for the Sabbath. And it's interesting that the songs about giving thanks to the Lord and praising his name and declaring his steadfast love in the morning and his faithfulness at night, it, it talks about being glad in God's works and flourishing in the courts of God where public worship happened. The Sabbath sounds, according to that song, like a wonderful refreshment for the soul. Isaiah the prophet said that those who keep the Sabbath and don't profane it and keep their hands from doing evil are blessed. Listen to Isaiah 58, 13, and 14. And listen for the blessing that God's people receive when they rightly observe the Sabbath. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Well, what's the blessing? Well, a big part of it was you shall take delight in the Lord. When we consider the Sabbath a delight and when we honor the Sabbath, God promises to bless us and we will delight in Him. Now, I love vacations. I love me a good vacation. And uh, who doesn't love vacations? I hope you love vacations. And there's something good about that day before vacation when you're frantically wrapping up your work. You're focused and you're determined to finish, and on the car ride home, you can just feel the pressure release. You, you, you just feel it, it leaving, and you feel this excitement beginning to grow. See, you know that rest and refreshment are coming on vacation, and you're excited about that. Well, the weekly Sabbath is similar. We head with our family the family of God, into the presence of God to take delight in God together, and he refreshes us. Dr. Zacharias Ursinus said, the end or design of the Sabbath commandment is the maintenance of the public worship of God in the church. And Ursinus meant that to observe the Sabbath was to devote a certain portion of time to sermons, sermons, public prayers, and the administration of the sacraments. 
Today, the word and sacraments ministry of the local church is what God uses to create and sustain and build faith in his people. And by faith, his people receive rest and refreshment. This is why we value the Lord's Day Uh, Lord's Day worship in particular so much here at Jerusalem Church. God is active to give his people rest and refreshment. Legalism destroys the Sabbath. Libertinism destroys the Sabbath. Both distract us from our Father's best, which is an entire day invested in communing with God. Resting in God and his works. Worshiping God with the assembly and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is rest and refreshment. And the Pharisees missed the point. Missed the point. Second, the kindness of Jesus on the Sabbath. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus and his disciples were traveling through the grain fields uh, on the Sabbath through the standing grain And his disciples got hungry, probably some growling stomachs, all right, maybe a headache or two, maybe the shakes, Uh, certainly fatigue, they were hungry. And so naturally, they reached down and they grabbed some grain and they rubbed it in their hands and they blew away the chaff and they ate the kernels to satisfy their hunger. Totally understandable and totally good. Here's what... What's assumed in that, the disciples were with Jesus. They were in the presence of God incarnate on the Sabbath, delighting in being with him. They were listening to him and learning from him, finding rest in him, being refreshed by his presence. They were doing God's work as God's chosen disciples and apostles, and on their sacred journey, they got hungry. They needed grain for energy. And you understand how it feels when you need a bite to eat and you don't have it and stuff starts happening to your body. So we know what this feels like. Some of you, quite honestly, you become monsters when you get hungry. Come on, let's be fair about it a little bit. Jesus the Christ, the eternal Son of God, was at that moment upholding the universe by the word of his power, providing grain for his disciples by his providence. As God, Jesus grew the grain for their consumption and with a kind and compassionate heart, he related to their need, related to their hunger, and took delight in giving them sustenance. Jesus kindly fed his disciples because he loved them in their weakness and fatigue. Now, before you think this is theft, taking some grains from someone's field, consider that in the Mosaic law, God made provisions, kind provisions for the poor. Israel was not to reap their fields right up to the edge or gather the gleanings after harvest, nor were they to strip their vineyards bare or gather the fallen grapes. They were to leave that food for the poor and the sojourners. How kind of God to provide sustenance for the poor and sojourners. No theft here. Nothing shady, only some men getting a bite to eat on the Sabbath because they were hungry. And here comes legalism to heap burdens on people. Third, the burden of legalism on the Sabbath. The burden of legalism on the Sabbath. Legalism is self-righteousness. 
It's self-deceived righteousness through rigid and imperfect law-keeping. Verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Here we go. Here we go. God, and we have to be clear on this, God didn't want his people doing a lot of things on the Sabbath because he wanted them to rest and to turn to him in worship for refreshment. That's true. There are boundaries for the Lord's Day. But the Pharisees added a bunch of ridiculous and taxing regulations, restrictions, that were not actually God's intent at all. They could walk a short distance on the Sabbath, but longer distances, oh, they were sinful. They could write short words on the Sabbath, but longer words, oh, oh, stay away. Those were sinful. I read, this is amazing, I read that the Pharisaical tradition asserted that it was illegal to spit on the ground on the Sabbath because if the moisture dented the soil, the spitter would be guilty of plowing. If a seed should be there, he would also be guilty of sowing. Come on! So pulling up some grain stalks was reaping. You're reaping on the Sabbath. Rubbing out grain in your hands and blowing away the chaff was threshing. You're threshing on the Sabbath. You wicked sinners are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, reaping and threshing were not to be done on the Sabbath. But their interpretation of that went way too far and their fastidiousness blinded them to human need. No compassion. They just had to say something, but they didn't understand to whom they said it. The Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath took no issue in the disciples in what they were doing. Well, that should have alerted the Pharisees that maybe they had the Sabbath wrong. They didn't take the matter up, or they they did rather take, uh, they didn't take the matter up with with the disciples. Where did they go? They went to the rabbi. They're after the rabbi. Because quite frankly, they hated Jesus and they wanted him gone. And so we see the heat being turned up in the book of Matthew. One scholar noted that, quote, if sabbatical observances prevented men from satisfying hunger, the Sabbath was no longer a blessing but an injury to man, unquote. Injuring man was not God's sabbatical intent. Later in Matthew 23, Jesus says this to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, tithing on spices was good. But a lesser matter to justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Those are weightier matters of the law. Love is the essence of the law. The Pharisees were fussy about tithing on spices while neglecting love of their neighbor. 
fastidiousness, fighting against love. Calvin rightly concluded, it is the invariable practice of hypocrites to allow themselves liberty in matters of the greatest consequence and to pay close attention to ceremonial observances. Another reason why they demand that outward rites should be more rigorously observed is that they wish to make their duty toward God to consist only in carnal worship. Unquote. The Sabbath, it does have boundaries. Doing whatever you want on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, is not good for you. That said, the Sabbath is not about external ritual or ceremony. Its essence is communion with God and love for others, something the Pharisees were obviously missing. Legalism and libertinism have never refreshed the soul. Fourth, the heart of observing, uh, observing the Sabbath. The problem with the Pharisees was their hearts. Their hearts. And Jesus used two compelling illustrations to expose their unbelief and lack of love for God and neighbor and to clarify the essence of the Sabbath. In verse 3, Jesus said, Have you not read? Well, he didn't think they were illiterate or unfamiliar with Scripture, his illustrations were indictments. His first illustration was David from 1 Samuel 21. Now let's understand that story. David, God's anointed king, was on the run from Saul who wanted to kill him. And this is what happened, 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to him like the priest, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. Now you need to know this that the bread of presence in the tabernacle was only for the priests to eat. Now at this point, David wasn't asking for the bread of presence. He wasn't trying to break God's ceremonial law. He was trying to preserve life by satisfying hunger. His hunger, the hunger of his men, and it wasn't snack time. They really needed to eat as they escaped. So continuing in verse 4, and the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. The priest offered David and his men the holy bread of presence. Why offer what God prohibited? Because the law of love trumps the law of ceremony. The preservation of life is more than the preservation of ritual law. David and his men, they were holy, as, as that passage uh, unpacks. And therefore, verse 6 says, So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of presence. It, it was a unique circumstance. If there was common bread there that the priest had to give, to eat the bread of presence would have been an act of ungodliness. 
to uphold the ceremonial law while ignoring human weakness and need would be to miss the essence of the law, love. Ahimelech was right to give the bread and David and his men were right to eat the bread. The law of love was at work as they sought the well-being of man. Calvin commented, hence it follows that the ceremonies of the law are not violated where there is no infringement of godliness, unquote. David loved the Lord. His heart was with the Lord and his men, and, and, and he was guiltless in this situation. So why did Jesus then use this example, this illustration? And I think Dr. Hendrickson got it right. He wrote, this makes a powerful argument if these men's hunger set aside a divine regulation without blame, how much more should the hunger of Jesus' disciples set aside a rabbinical rule? Not God's rule, a rabbinical rule. You see, Jesus was caring for his disciples' body and soul. No foul was committed. They were permitted to enjoy God's good provision of grain on the Sabbath as they communed with Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. No profanation there. The second illustration Jesus used was priests laboring in the temple on the Sabbath. Again, Jesus indicts the Pharisees, have you not read in the law? What an indictment. They should have known better than to question the Lord of the Sabbath. In order to facilitate the worship of God and in order to uphold God's law, the priests, they worked hard on the Sabbath. On top of offering regular burnt offerings, they sacrificed two uh, lambs. They circumcised infant covenant children and they did other things and they were guiltless. It was God-sanctioned worship, God-sanctioned work, if you will. When Jesus, we have to be careful with understanding this, when Jesus used the word profane, he didn't mean the priests actually profane the Sabbath by their unique uh, priestly work. He was using profane in a way consistent with the wrong thinking of the Pharisees. Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath and sanctioned the disciples' meal, but the Pharisees missed it. Pharisees missed it. Again, Jesus quoted Hosea 6.6. He had quoted this earlier in Matthew. Verse 7, And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Hosea 6 talks about repentance, the healing of the Lord, knowing the Lord, the refreshing presence of the Lord. And in Hosea 6.6, the Lord said, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And and there the Pharisees were, so preoccupied by their self-righteousness and repressive regulations that they missed the Lord of the Sabbath and loving Him. Knowing him, communing with him, and, and, and caring about the disciples' fatigue and hunger. They just wrote that off. So out of touch with people's needs. The essence of the law is love, so they should have loved God, taken their cues from Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, and sought the well-being of his disciples. More than religious sacrifice is seeing the needs of others and being moved to lessen their burdens. 
If our neighbor is hungry, how can we satisfy their hunger? If our neighbor is thirsty, how can we satisfy their thirst? If our neighbor is discouraged, how can we hearten them? Dr. Dan Doriani remarked, if we capture the true intent of the law, it always leads us to love God and love our neighbor. Any interpretation of the law that limits our ability to serve God or love our neighbors, as the Bible, including the Decalogue, defines love, must be wrong because love of God and love of neighbor are the essence of the law, unquote. Oh, how Jesus knew his disciples, and oh, how Jesus loved his disciples. He walked with them, talked with them, taught them, delighted in them, fed them. His warmth and, and his kindness came through his provision for them, body and soul. His presence and his provision were divine kindness in action, working for the good of his own. As Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus knows exactly how to love God and love neighbor on the Sabbath, and he was doing both. Jesus is the one with the pure and the charitable heart. I love how Dr. Leon Morris put it. He said, it is the practice of compassion that should distinguish the people of God rather than the punctilious observance of outward regulations, no matter how sacred. Now, punctilious, I don't use that word, okay, but... Weird word, strict observance of the formalities and ceremonies of worship. Strict, strict, strict. Do every, cross every box, everything must be in its place. Meaning to drive past a person lying at the side of the road in order to make it to Lord's Day worship on time is to miss the point. You following that? Stop and get them to the hospital and you will be acting appropriate in appropriate worship of God in that very unique and rare circumstance. Yes, God's people should distinguish themselves from unbelievers in acts of piety and worship. Absolutely. But the greater matter is their practice of compassion. Compassion. Brothers and sisters, when COVID first hit, we didn't know a whole lot about things. We stopped corporate worship for a time. Kind of shocking, considering how much we value the Lord's Day worship. Were we breaking God's command of corporate worship? Well, we desired to uphold Lord's Day worship, but not if it meant compromising the physical well-being of the congregation in unique circumstances. You see? Now, as we learned, we opened up. We adjusted. It is possible to be so concerned about doing the right things on the Sabbath that you miss the point of loving God and your neighbor on the Sabbath. It is also possible to be indifferent towards that which God desires you on the Sabbath, that your indifferences and indulgence in unhelpful activities expresses your lack of love for God and your neighbor the same way. We must be careful, saints, that we are not missing the biggest blessings of God because like the Pharisees, our attention is on ourselves on the Lord's day. Fifth, the supremacy of Christ over the Sabbath. In verse six, Jesus makes this momentous statement. I tell you, 
something greater than the temple is here. Whoa! <laughs> Big statement. The purpose of the temple, dear saints, was always to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came, the relevance of the temple vanished because Jesus is the true temple of worship. We worship God in Christ. We experience the presence of God in Christ. We experience the rest and refreshment of God in Christ. Jesus himself said that he was the temple. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He was talking about himself as the center of worship. Where, dear saints, does the church commune with God? Not in a building. In the person of Jesus Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, along with all the saints. It is our union with Christ by faith which unites us together in public worship of God. The temple was the type and Jesus Christ is the antitype. That to which the temple points. The object to which the temple always pointed. Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple and all mosaic ceremony. And I find it intriguing that Matthew seems to present to us the supremacy of Jesus Christ as our priest, prophet, and king. Matthew 12, 6. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. What was the temple without priests interceding for the people and sacrificing for sins? Matthew 12, 41, a little later, something greater than Jonah is here. What was Jonah but God's prophet? Matthew 12, 42, something greater than Solomon is here. What was Solomon but God's anointed king? Jesus is the supreme prophet, priest, and king, the anointed Christ whom God sent to not only rescue his people, but to bless them with his rest. Rest. Jesus directed the Pharisees from the lesser to the greater. He was directing them to himself as the resting place in whom one communes with God. The temple was where God dwelt with his people. And there Jesus was, God in human flesh, dwelling with his people. Emmanuel, the great high priest, the great prophet, the great king, was talking and walking with his people across the grain fields. He was communing with them. He was loving them in their weakness, providing for them body and soul. Jesus added in verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, Jesus is the Son of Man, and Jesus is Lord of all things. As the Pharisees sat in judgment against the Son of God, the preeminent Son of Man exercises his messianic authority over the Sabbath to bless his people. He is Lord of the Sabbath and knows what mercy and love and compassion and sacrifice are all about because that is his heart. Jesus condemns not his disciples who took grain on the Sabbath, but condemns those who failed to come to him for rest. 
Jesus does not condemn those who come to him for rest and refreshment. He does not condemn anyone who comes to him broken and weary, heavy laden for rest. He doesn't cast them away. In that moment in the field, was there anything better than eating grain in the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath? We are prone to both legalism and libertinism. Both distract us from God, but if we count the Lord's day a delight, then our God will honor that and he will become our delight. If we devote ourselves to God on the Sabbath, God, he will bless us with rest and refreshment. I think we all could come to Christ more diligently and expectantly on the Sabbath to receive rest and refreshment from him. J.C. Ryle, I've profited much from him. I love the way he writes things. He noted this. The plain truth is that our Lord did not abolish the law of the weekly Sabbath. He only freed it from incorrect interpretations and purified it from man-made additions. He did not tear out of the Decalogue the fourth commandment. He only stripped off the miserable traditions with which the Pharisees had encrusted the day and by which they had made it not a blessing, but a burden, unquote. Brothers and sisters, let's try to observe the Lord's day more faithfully, but, but not to earn our righteousness. Let it not be legalism. Not to earn our righteousness. Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, is our righteousness. He's the perfect Sabbath keeper. No, let's try to observe the Lord's day more faithfully in order to commune more deeply with our Father who has rescued us from our sin and misery in order to give, give, give rest to us. Let's... Let's utilize the Lord's day to come to Christ and to find rest and refreshment in Him. Rest and refreshment for our souls. Let's seek to to maximize, not, not just create a bunch of rules and regulations, fastidiousness, not that. Let's seek to maximize the Lord's day to the glory of our God and the good of our neighbor, the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. The greatest refreshments in this life are actually not food or entertainment or sports or vacations, but the refreshment of the word of God and sacraments which we receive by faith and through which God grants us true and lasting rest and refreshment. Jesus kindly refreshes us with his presence and gift of rest in him. Why? We belong to him. And he loves to give us good things. Neglecting the word in sacraments and other God-directed activities on the Lord's Day is a serious sin because we are neglecting the provision of our Lord and Savior who is ready to give us rest and refreshment in Him. That's why He's provided us with these marvelous provisions on His day. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I get weary in my struggles against the flesh, worn down. Here, here's some, sometimes I wish I was someone else. What is wrong with me? Why am I like this? I just get so, so exhausted and discouraged about struggling with the same things over and over again. So personally, I'm looking for ways to better observe the Sabbath so that I can experience more rest in God, more rest in Christ, because I desperately need that rest and refreshment. Desperate for it. And, and so perhaps you desire the same. Maybe. I believe God is calling us as a church to carefully consider how we might come to Jesus for rest and refreshment more diligently and more expectantly on the Lord's day. I think he's calling our church to think about that. And I, for one, am excited to see where God is going to lead us in 2021.